everyone, and welcome to Play on K, the Korean drama podcast with Emily and Raquel. And this is the show where we take a K-drama, we watch it two episodes at a time, and then we get together here every week to talk about it. Yeah, this week we watched... We didn't watch anything. It's the bonus episode of The Sound of Magic. It was a ma- it was only a matter of time before I came into this and just really messed up the intro super hard, so... Could we re-record? Absolutely. Are we going to? <laughs> Never. Why would nope. we do that? We're professionals, and as they say in the biz, record once. Maybe it will come out in post. Probably not. <laughs> There's no way to get this out in post, <laughs> as far as I'm aware. And I'm the editor. I am the poster boy. That's what they call him. <laughs> in the biz. In the biz. <laughs> so, things are not going well on our end, as you can tell. And we're excited to talk about The Sound of Magic and disassociate for just a little while. Yep. Just not think about anything except how underprepared we are to record this bonus episode. Yeah, should we start... Should- should we go come in strong with ratings? Because I'm interested in just giving this a rating right off the bat, right at the top of the show. Yeah, we can we can talk. A, we can say what our rating is, and then we can talk about why we rated it, what we did, and then maybe by the end we can have like a a callback to. It. So at the beginning of the episode, you gave it a. Now that we've had time to analyze it, would you still? Oh, that's a good idea. There's room to change with these ones. Yeah. I want to give it a seven. What do you want to give it? Uh, Also a seven. I liked well, it about seven, so. <laughs> it's crazy. I I don't remember the rules to the refrigerator test. It's something like if you're watching a show or a movie and it's good and you don't have any problems with it and then you go to your refrigerator later and that's when you start thinking about its flaws then it passed the refrigerator test it was a good enough show or movie yeah like you had the time to get to the refrigerator sometime later in your day i think that's how it works i honestly cannot for the, i mean i feel like you told me what the refrigerator test was during the podcast probably three years ago or something. (laughs) And I thought that was genius. I thought, wow, Emily has the the true experience of a movie critic. She knows everything. And uh, it's honestly just a relief to me that both of us are equally confused about exactly what this (laughs) test that we have used on multiple occasions... (laughs) In the history of the podcast. <laughs> what it Don't is. Know what it is. What does it do? Yeah, Jason explained it to me once, so I didn't know it. He's, out of the three of us, he's the one with the brain. <laughs> so I think that's what it is. Sorry if I'm wrong, but I think this passed the refrigerator test is what I was getting at. I really enjoyed it while I was watching it. Okay, okay, Did you okay. find it? I did. I did look it up. Um okay. Explain so, it for real. Uh, I'm getting this. This I'll, I'll cite my sources. This is all from a website called slaphappylarry.com slash what dash is dash the dash fridge dash test. That's yikes. Okay. Yeah. Mm. It's, a, it's a good URL, but keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. I'm so sorry. I, that wasn't dismissive to you. That was... Me reminding myself, yeah, 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 I do need to get to it. Why am I telling everyone <laughs> the world's longest URL? Um, what is a refrigerator moment? Uh, this describes the moment you realize something in a movie didn't add up. You gaze into the fridge looking for something to eat. You're gazing into the fridge looking for something to eat or drink. So there, what, but what's the full thing? What's the like one single definition? You have to pay to see more. <laughs> Slap happy Larry charges a fee <laughs> yeah. to no definitions. Uh, you know you've just come home from a movie. You had a great time. You go to the refrigerator to get a beer. You open the door and you say, wait a minute. If a film has got the audience until they open the fridge, maintains director Jonathan DeMay, uh, then that's all that matters. So, you were correct in your original assessment. It is... 
if there is not an immediate ah loophole, I see it right there. Pretty much as soon as it happens, if you have enough time to get to the fridge to get yourself something to eat or drink after it ends, then then it passes the fridge test. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, point being, I feel like this show, for the most part, passed the fridge test. I was in it. I was fully invested. There were maybe one or two things that even while watching the show, we could have been like, hey, what happened to Il Dung? You didn't really give him an ending. That is something that I feel in the moment while watching this. You're rolling the credits, but where did Il Dung go? But for the most part, it was fun, whimsical, musical, magical, and I, I really enjoyed it. So the rest of this episode will just be roasting it and talking about why it was brought down to a seven. Yeah, there are many reasons. I feel like we definitely outlined most of our reasons in the in the finale when everything felt really fresh and we were ready to say what just happened. Yeah, I think even after some time thinking about it, my feelings kind of got worse. Like... I, last night, was thinking about, in prepping for this bonus episode, how do I feel about the show? What are my final kind of takeaway thoughts? And the biggest feeling I had was just that it was kind of creepy, and I was disappointed that it maybe felt like magic wasn't real, that in taking away the disappearing man, the biggest trick that we saw, arguably, they kind of cheapened all the other experiences and made us question how could he have pulled that off without using actual magic. And starting to go down that rabbit hole led to, oh, he's, he might be drugging kids. He might be using hallucinogenics on non-consenting parties. And I don't like that. That's not the show that I signed up for. And that's the feelings that I'm left with. It made me uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't feel like they endeared me quite enough to the magician that maybe I trusted him, right? I felt felt a lot of uh, empathy toward his situation and how he got to a point where he was, you know, maybe a little bit, a little bit unstable, living alone in an abandoned theme park, not alone, with his parrot his best friend in the whole world, who we loved, but also I think that they they set up a lot of, you know, empathy moments. I think they they did put in the work and the effort to endear him or to us, you know? It's just that maybe it didn't all hit as hard in the face of some of the things they also showed us about about him and what he was doing. Uh, honestly, it sucks. I know we're clinging to this, but it was a pretty big deal breaker moment for me. And I know for you that he strangled a teenager, not to death, yeah. but he did seem like that maybe was the end goal and he couldn't manage his emotions. And they gave us a reason on, you know, how he got to that point of not being able to manage his emotions. But I would posit even a teenager, because I think they, their whole thing was he, you know, is very childlike. He's very whimsical. He maybe stopped emotionally developing after a certain point because he never wanted to grow up because all of the adults in his life let him down. And so there were the reasons there. I just don't see it because I also don't see maybe it as a great thing if a teenager was strangling another teenager, you know? That's still emotionally really difficult <laughs> to to feel okay about, <laughs> even remotely. Yeah, that's not something children do. I think it was really powerful to have him confess his feelings at one point very briefly and in a way that we could have written off at the time to Ayi to say, I'm interested in you. And we were like, oh, that's creepy. But it kind of didn't come up again. So we were able to almost forget about it, sweep it under the rug. 
And then by the end of the show, you have more context for that moment and you say, oh, he might perceive himself as this much younger person who thinks it's not inappropriate to confess to a high school girl. That makes more sense. And I think that is a really great way to show he hasn't really matured. He sees himself as this young person. But yeah, then we have this weird, unforgivable moment where he's choking out another human being. And you're like, that's not something immature people do. That's something psychotic people do and harmful people do. And it's not okay and it's not whimsical and fun like we signed up for. Yeah. And yeah, that is. it sucks that it was one single moment in the entirety of the K-drama that feels like such a deal-breaker, but that is, if any moment is a deal-breaker as far as his whole character, which this K-drama was centered around, and the whimsy behind everything, and the, you know, magic of it all was all his character, and his character, you know, being a forever kid, and if if that's all we have, that moment is a deal-breaker moment. That is at least, I don't know... 1.5 of the point deduction, which is pretty big for a, what, total 10, 15 second clip of footage. Yeah. But it had an impact. It was... It did. Not great. <laughs> no! And it's hard because there's another moment where he's fighting someone. He's fighting the store manager and they play that clip out in quite a few different scenes to show that he might be a violent, unhinged person. And I think they could have, I think they did really successfully show that maybe he's a little unhinged, maybe he's a little bit too into his magic, but he didn't actually stab a man to death over it. And there was a little bit of this feeling that the circumstances are beyond our understanding. For at least most of the time that we're watching that scene, we know that there's pieces missing. And eventually when it does come together, you're definitely on the magician's side. You're not like, yeah, the store manager needed protecting. You're like, kill that dude. Um, (laughs) But also, glad you didn't. It's good. Yeah. But to see him do the same thing with a young female is like, that's not an equivalent. We can't still be on his team after that. Yeah, she was being awful and we still can't be on his team. I fully agree. She was crossing the line. She was out of line. She shouldn't have been there. She was throwing terrible accusations at a man who pretty much, for the most part, was just trying to mind his own business. She continually came back and broke into the place that he was living, even if it's not, you know, a home he owns or whatever. She was breaking into his place of residence and going through his things, and she was persistent. She was awful. I hated her, and she still did not deserve to be strangled, because she was just a really annoying, shitty kid. Yeah. So it's weird. It's weird that that was included, that that, that they're like, real, he does almost kill a, kill a young woman. Yeah. But he's whimsical and fun and we love him. You're like, you can't bring this back after that. <laughs> it's, we're done. We're done with, it's like the scene with the cop and the counseling office. Like, he's done. He is no longer good. He will never have a redemption arc. After he brings a grown man into a counseling office and does not read the room at all. The worst cop I've ever seen. (laughs) Just being like, man, this student seems suddenly uncomfortable, but I don't really know what that means. I've never been in a room with a perpetrator and a victim before. So I don't I don't know this body language. Don't don't ask me about it. Like, ew, sir, you're so stupid. You're a cop. Get it together. Separate these two. Unforgivable. The cop is done. For some reason, you want us to write off the magician as well? He I thought he was the main character. Okay. But I guess not. We've done it. He's out. We hate him. He can't strangle children. <laughs> 
That's two characters written off. Who else is on the chopping block? Let's keep going. It's weird because early on it felt like Ildung was on the chopping block, and he fully did charm me. By the end, I I was pretty charmed by his character, because he... You can come back from bribing your disadvantaged peer to do your homework for you. (laughs) (laughs) In my opinion, that is maybe not a completely... I thought it was a I'm writing this kid off offense in relation to the actions of so many others in this (laughs) K-drama. In context, not that bad. (laughs) No, he was actually... um, with the bar set by every adult in this K-drama, that kid was practically an angel. <laughs> <laughs> There's also, I think it there could have remained this question in the air of, is that ethical? Was that good? Can Do we hold it against him? If he had continued down the ending that I wrote for him last episode, that was he goes on to college, becomes a big shot lawyer, and uses his newfound power to help those who might not have access to someone like him typically. But we could have held on to, is that, is it good? Is there any repentance for him cheating his way through high school, even though he didn't need to? He still did. He technically did cheat his way through high school. So to go on and see success is kind of questionable. But he's like, nope, I have fully repented for cheating on these tests by invalidating the results. I'm dropping out of high school. Goodbye. Tests don't don't matter anymore. Yeah. That also, though, yeah, posits, yeah, that there is no redemption, right? Where it's like, Like you said, yeah, there's some gray area if he has some success. But also, I don't know, that leaves no room for... Maybe that is too black and white, right? There are some things that are black and white, like strangling, like an adult man strangling (laughs) a child. That feels pretty... um, Pretty not good. Yeah, pretty black and white. We're going to go ahead and keep that one in the the not good pile. But I, (laughs) I think that there are... I think most crimes and actions that we would put in the not good pile definitely have room for redemption, right? They definitely, I mean, there's there's room for forgiveness. It's just that people need to ask in the right way, right? So like you said, if he if he was using, you know, the success he found to turn around and be like no one should ever have to go through what my friend did, and have to be paid just to, you know, get... I, I didn't need to pay her, uh, but I did, both because I was crumbling under the expectation of my parents, but also because she needed the money. But also, what if no other kid had to do that? What if I, you know... Oh, that's nice. I met the magician and oh, him going... Yeah. My magician friend was accused of homicide, and even though he would do it, I don't think he did. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, okay. I guess as a lawyer, right, he probably wouldn't really be able to, like, get kids access to the resources they need. So it's more realistic in our in the ending we wrote for him that he would be doing it for, like, the magician, his magician friend, and those like his magician friend that don't have the access to lawyers that they maybe need. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Which- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, we say friend very loosely, because I still argue that they didn't have much of a relationship. Even in Raquel and I watched, uh, it said it was like a making of the show, which we thought would be a cool behind the scenes thing, but it just kind of turned out to be a trailer. And in part of it, the char- the actors who played the characters, the magician and Ildung, talked about the relationship between those two and how sweet it was and how the magician saw himself in Ildung and like we saw the parallels between their lives but I don't feel like there was much relationship building that we saw it always felt like Ayi and the magician were building their relationship and Ildung was kind of third wheeling that yeah I and that's a thing too right that I think definitely contributed to us deciding that maybe 
this only deserves a 7 out of 10 uh, Manuel Bucks. That is a callback. <laughs> that is a callback. We'll, we'll call it stars or points or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but we all know in our hearts it's Manuel Bucks. Yeah. Go watch our epi- or listen to our episodes on Hotel De Luna and then the bonus episode to figure out what that really niche reference is. <laughs> um, um, but I that definitely contributes to it, right? I don't think that it would have been impossible for them to make honestly a a ten star. Um, a 10 star K-drama in six episodes. That's not impossible. That's actually entirely possible. You could do a 10 star movie in two hours, right? But it's all about the, what you bring to the table as, you know, your story and your plot points and the time you give yourself to roll out those plot points or that that story that and the themes and the overall idea that you want to convey. And I think that they rolled out too much unresolved extra stuff. And it impacted both, I don't know, the way that the major idea of the drama was ultimately portrayed, and it left exactly what that description just said it left a bunch of what felt like unresolved plot points and unresolved stuff that or underresolved even if they you know touched on it or didn't leave it entirely open maybe you know they they got it in the wrap up or whatever it didn't feel you know as deep and rich as it could have because there were so many other things they had to focus on to make sure that everything got you know got wrapped up in some way or touched on in some way. And I think that the relationship between a lot of the secondary and primary characters were the, like, they were the collateral damage of that, right? Um, just as maybe one example being Ildung and the Magician, where it, it was implied that they spent a lot of time together and it was so we could all, you know, assume that they developed a friendship very closely and and we can see how the magician relates to Ildung and and sees himself in him that's a very clear parallel to draw but you don't really get that much actual one-on-one time between the two of them that makes me really feel the authenticity of that relationship as a viewer yeah and then you're left with nothing at the end it's odd i think they could have been more vague and more they could have implied a lot of their relationship had they ended it with a very explicit like and they are to together now they ran off together they're doing magic stuff they're being weird poor people (laughs) in a very whimsical and fun way wherever because they had this relationship that we didn't get to see much of on screen but you can believe it was there. But instead, their relationship was implied from beginning to end and just kind of mentioned passively Yeah, when, when it was discussed, which just felt odd. I don't know. Lackluster, I think, is how I'm feeling about it. That relationship was lackluster. Yeah. Like, I- even freaking Hana and Robin had a better relationship than Ildung and the Magician. Right, and you don't, it's not that they get a whole bunch of screen time, it's that you actually get some really solid moments of them spending time together. You see their dynamic in the smallest moments, uh, like Robin asking to please stop messing around at this creepy amusement park. What is this doing for us? Why do you feel like you need that recording, you know? And then Hannah doing her thing or whatever but you you get all of those little moments and then the end when robin is like that's my friend that someone attacked and i'm on her team no matter how much shit she's giving everyone throughout this entire thing and that's her literal last scene but 
But we don't get that with Ildung and the magician at all. I think there could have been an opportunity for Ildung to stand up for the magician and say, hey, that's my friend you're talking about. He's not a murderer. And he kind of does it with the cop. He goes, no, I'm a character witness for this guy. He's a good dude. But for one thing, it comes off as disingenuous because we know the magician is harmful and dangerous and has choked a girl. But more importantly, it's maybe only in front of his parents. It's in such a small audience that you just want to see him really back this guy and go to bat for the magician. And I think it just never felt as strong as... Robin standing up for Hana for some reason. Like, thinking back on it, the ways that he did stand up for the magician were constant. Like, he ran around town looking for him when the magician went missing, and he talked. He got the whole backstory with the pregnant lady. He was there. Yeah. He did have that one moment. I will give them this. He had that one moment. He seemed to be the only person, aside from pregnant woman who I think her name was, it was Ji Su, I want to say. But for the most part, he seems to be the only primary character that never really had a crisis of faith surrounding the magician by the end. He was the one that told Ayi that, that he believed in the magician, and if she wanted to believe in him also, like, that's fine, but he, he trusted him or whatever, you know. He had faith that and that it was real magic or yada, yada, yada. Like, he did have moments. I guess I just... It's so hard because the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, yeah, the, I mean, they did give him moments, but they didn't give them many moments, right? It was not yeah their moments. It was his moments, and it, I don't know, it felt more personal than interpersonal, his belief in the magician, and wanting him to be good. That's fair. That's a really strong way to put it. Because as you were talking, I was like, maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe they've given us a lot to work with, with the magician and Ildung, and I just never appreciated how much Ildung stayed by the magician's side, no matter what other people said, because he did. He was pretty consistent, like... I do not doubt the magician's integrity and his ability to do magic. <laughs> and, like, those are two very powerful statements, which, yeah, should have meant more to me. But I guess I didn't appreciate him enough in the moment. So maybe I'm totally wrong on this, which is fine. But <laughs> walking away from the show, I didn't feel... I wanted more explicit scenes between... Ildung and the Magician. That's what I wanted. And more solid endings for both of their characters. Like we talked about last episode, the Magician's ending was very cool. Real, just like friggin' disappearing. Awesome. I think that's dope. That's a great way to end his character. But Ildung, on the other hand, yeah. no. Yeah, they decided to just parallel them until the very end, like, and they both disappear like magic. <laughs> It's like, we didn't need that. We didn't need them to be pretty much the same person. It would be okay if they had a, they each had their own path. In fact, isn't that the point? Finding your own path? Yeah. Nope, that's not. The point is being poor is fun and whimsical. (laughs) And you don't have to take the paved road to be rich and housed and whatever else other people have. We have whimsy we have magic we have maybe drugs just do that stuff i yeah i feel like so much of this show maybe i'm roasting it too much maybe i'm overthinking it but all the themes were so sweet and lovely and things that we could all get behind but they were so subtly undermined by some of the things that this show did yeah yeah, there were little moments. That, and that's why it's only three points. It's not like we gave it a two out of ten, you know? It's <laughs> it's still a good... Because the music was still bopping. Yeah, I loved every musical number. Some of them felt a little repetitive. Like, oh, this is the third <laughs> sad ballad about how rough her life continues to be. 
and how she wishes for the the life she envisioned in her childhood or whatever. I don't know. I'm completely misrepresenting a lot of those songs. Anyway, <laughs> they were beautiful to listen to. Uh, and, you know, that's a big chunk of the points that it did get, was that this was a musical K-drama that I didn't see coming. I didn't know I needed. I loved it. I loved that it was a musical. Yeah, which we talked about in our in our very brief research for this show it started as a webtoon i think it was written in 2010 or at least started in 2010 maybe it's still going today i didn't get that deep into it then it was turned into a stage play which i think it would work really well as i think that would be really cool that's probably where they made a lot of the songs I don't know if it was actually a musical. Maybe it was just a play. But wouldn't this be fantastic as a musical? And then it would make sense that that was the natural transition was to make it a show, but keep a lot of the same songs that conveyed some of the themes that are harder to see when transitioning from a written content such as a webtoon to uh, a more visual content format. Like... It makes sense. It yeah. makes sense that that was the transition, and I really want to see the stage play. But I almost think it might work better in some ways on stage than it did as a show. Yeah, because on stage, I think there's... it. I mean, it's so much shorter on stage, right? And there's so much more openness for what is implied j- simply because of the, the media used, right? Yeah. Because these guys had six hours to do what a stage play needs to do in two hours. So they're, you know, when there's implied, you know, relationships or friendships or whatever, if, you know, I know that's like a lot of the focus here, but if if those are implied, there is more, it's not even forgiveness, but it's just an understanding when you go into watching, you know, live theater that there's going to be, um, and in part, there's also writing that helps do this, but there's there's an understanding that we're not going to get however many hours of a relationship built between two characters. And so there's, you know, that ability to say, but I felt it in, in these shorter moments versus in a show where there's six hours to present a murder mystery uh, really, really sad situation for the m- female lead, and then the all of the stuff going on with Eldung and his family. And in those six hours, they they couldn't present that in a way that felt like a believable relationship. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to bring it back to that. I, it makes me feel like I'm hyperfixating on that, but just kind of, a, it's a good example to use that that in a in a two to three hour play it feels like it there would be a lot more um implied but also probably a lot fewer plot points that they would have drawn out or hinted at or whatever over the course of such like half the time and maybe there would have been a more understanding. I'm really, I've been talking for too long. I'm out of control (laughs) of my mouth now. I'm losing my mind. I've got to, I've got to stop. You're doing great. I'm appreciating everything you say. I do, I think my brain pivoted a little bit to start fixating on the relationship with Ai's mom, which I think maybe could have been cut from the show. We didn't need it. And... Yeah, I think that it was really interesting. It's hard because part of me really appreciates what they did and how Ayi was able to work through some of the feelings of my mom's not dead, she abandoned me. My dad's not dead, he abandoned me. I think those are interesting and distressing themes that it's important that were brought up. But it feels like we spent a lot of time with these two parents that their storylines never really got resolved. Her storyline just kind of, like, nothing happened with her mom. Her mom especially. There was no resolution to that. Could we not have dedicated that time somewhere else? 
100%. And it wouldn't have been a big deal that they didn't resolve that or go too deep into it if they, it didn't feel like they teased about, like with the mailbox thing and her writing letters or the part where all of a sudden all of her texts to her mom became read. And there was just all of this build up and tease about the idea of this parent who actually isn't dead and is maybe still around and maybe would be the solution to, I mean, the whole first three episodes were her inner monologue to her mom and, and the texts, like she would describe her situation or, you know, at the end of a day, she would, you know, be texting her mom and it would be, you know, the actress monologuing about that. And it was just this whole big relationship that I don't think they did a good job of saying this is a girl mourning a parent that abandoned her so much as it felt like a tease of like, oh, you want to talk to your mom? I can help you talk to your mom. Like, there was so much of that. Yeah. Yeah. And then nothing came of it. That's great buildup. That's all great groundwork that we're laying down. Why didn't it come to anything in the end? I don't get it. Also, I think maybe we belabored this point a bit, a bit much, a few too many times. I'll bring it up just one last time <laughs> for good measure. There, there was nothing with her sister in the past. What I know, it's us just being crazy and over talking about talking about it way too much. But there's something to be said for creating this character who is a bit of a burden to Ayi and then never explaining. Like, you don't even have to explain. Just put her in the family pictures. Show where the little sister was when the mom abandoned them. Show what... Give give them a line, one line when she visits her younger self where she's like, take good care of your younger sister. There is nothing that shows this younger sister in the past. So it just comes off as weird. And you're like, I guess it's great that she has someone that keeps her going and Ayi's not giving up because she can't afford to give up. But I think she could still have that same inner drive without having another person to take care of. Yeah. I, I just didn't get it. It was just kind of odd. Yeah. Or even if her sister is, you know, the reason that she's kind of being kept in poverty, right? Because it's not just about her. She can't just, you know, run from the problem because she also has to think of her sister, who's a little kid who needs certain things and some kind of stability in some situations, and Ayi's the one providing that, that's totally fine. But yeah, it her little sister was so underdeveloped that we were questioning if she was a ghost for a <laughs> lot of the K-drama. Uh, so at that point, she literally just feels like a plot point, right? She doesn't feel like a well-thought-out and, and developed character. She feels like, uh, and it, it's fine if, if, yeah, she was a character that served a particular purpose of being, you know, both the drive, but also the reason that Ayi uh, can't just, you know, look out for herself or can't just, you know, find a new place to live or, you know, whatever solutions she could have come up with as a, as a, as a teenager living on her own versus having, you know, someone that needs someone else that needs the stability in the home. That's totally fine. It's just that you can't have that character be literally just that and then not develop. Yeah, like you said, what was happening? I mean, what was happening when Ayi was was her sister's age, right? Because the mom was probably gone by that point. It seemed like she left when Ayi was pretty young. So... I, there was just so much that they didn't develop about, yeah, having a sister existing at all except to be a burden. And that's not a great character. Yeah. So either cut these characters, these peripheral characters like the mom and the sister, maybe even take down Ildung's parents a little bit, have them be a little less of the show, or figure it out. Yeah. Make it better. 
maybe write in a few more episodes. I mean, I'll, I'll, I won't blame any writer for that. I feel like if given the episodes, they probably could have done a lot more with that. I am inclined to believe if, if there was any reason behind what felt like a deficit of episodes, it's probably like production, right? Looking at you, mm-hmm. Netflix, don't come for me. I'm poor. You'll get nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you can't fight me. I'm poor. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. But, again, I think at least with the little sister, we could have had a line or two in a lot of the flashback scenes that we did get that explained where she was and what was going on with her. It's a little bit of a tell-don't-show, which is never the advice. But (laughs) if it's either tell-don't-show or just pretend she never existed i'd rather you tell me give me a line that's like what am i supposed to do with this baby yeah. <laughs> you're abandoning me your eight-year-old but you're also abandoning my younger sister who is one i don't know what their age difference is what the math is but it seems like that's how old she- the younger sister was when they were abandoned that needs a little bit more explanation <laughs> Either way, it just felt, again, a little lackluster in that area, because obviously the sister's adorable. She's a fabulous singer. We loved that she was part of this. Just make her a character. Don't make her this weird ghost that's just there to kind of make Ai more sad and more (laughs) worried all the time. That sucks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do want to give one piece of credit where credit is due also, uh, cause we have railed on this show for a lot longer than I thought we would. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with us? Time got away from us. We got a little carried away in our opinions. I had a good time, but I yeah. feel like maybe it's not super representative of how, of our, the other positive feelings we have about this show. Uh, I think there's one in particular very cool thing that they did as far as proving that magic is real in a very unique way that I would not have expected. Because there's the overt way that they said, see how magic is real. But then there was kind of a more subtle thing they did in the exact same moment. And it was with the camera, right? That was the big reveal that the camera that shouldn't have been functional, that caught the murder of... Uh, ha Yoon, the teenage girl, and it shouldn't have been functional, but some kind of, you know, magic intervention happened, and we as the viewer see the butterfly fly down and touch the camera, and it comes on just in time to, to find, to find the murderer, essentially. Um, and then, They do another thing, and this is kind of the part that I particularly liked. So there's that magic that's real that helped the camera come on at the moment it was most needed or whatever. Really cool magic. Wow. Anara sumanara. Anyway, uh, they had the flashing lights of the fireworks in the camera recording also that shows that what she was seeing and what she was feeling in that moment wasn't just a trip from the Ah. drugs that he put in her hot chocolate, but that in that moment, the things that she, the, the big show he was putting on, while maybe not straight up magic, was quite magical and very real. Uh, fireworks aren't magic. They are science. Uh, they're <laughs> chemicals and explosions. But the fact that he made that all happen, it was, it was happening. It wasn't just in her head. It wasn't a shared hallucination. It wasn't the mushrooms and her hot chocolate. It was, it was real. Oh, that's a nice place to end. I don't know <laughs> if that's like the very last thing you wanted to say. Uh, but I genuinely want to believe in the magic from this show. Yeah. So I'm glad you said that. Yeah, I didn't have anything else to say, but I did want to leave it open in case there was anything else you wanted to say, since we went on for a lot longer than we meant to. Uh, But also, I don't want to, like, cut it off here if there was more. No, I maybe should have 
prepared more for this episode, but basically I just wanted to talk through my feelings because, <laughs> like I said, it passed the refrigerator test. It was a show that I absolutely adored watching and was excited to watch every week, but for some reason, the last couple episodes, the finale, left me feeling a little dark, a little gloomier than yeah. the rest of the show, and I'm glad we got to talk through why, and now I can sit back and sit with these feelings and think through it was still a good show and magic is real they just wanted to leave everything more vague than i'm comfortable with yeah. everything that i am unhappy with was just vague just a little bit under um not as explicitly said as i'm used to and as i need in my <laughs> stories <laughs> which is why I'm left feeling uncomfortable and unhappy, but that doesn't make it a bad experience or a bad show overall. It's just whimsical and interesting, and the what you think of it is more up to you than I'm used to. Yes, yeah, 100%. And yeah, I really, um, I enjoyed watching it. I was the same. I enjoyed coming back to it every week and watching the episodes and i loved you chung look and oh my god yeah so much <laughs> so much and he was perfect for this he was he's got that perfect boyish whimsical energy and it was so good and so yeah i i guess at the end of it all what i'm trying to say is i'm gonna stick with my seven that feels like a good fit for this show because seven implies that we still enjoyed it quite a lot despite having a couple of drawbacks yeah i'll stick with my seven i think after you said magic is real at the end and we can prove that with science because the fireworks were caught in the camera i thought about going up to an eight i'm interested <laughs> in an eight so maybe we can maybe i'll go to an eight and we can settle on 7.5 I, I think that's good. I think that that encapsulates, yeah, the the good feelings that left us with, despite the the last minute bad feels that encroached. Yeah. Ah, uh, I want to know what everybody else thinks because, yeah, I feel like we've roasted it, but we're taking for granted we are leaving vague how good the cast, the directing, the camera work, the special effects, the musical numbers, the choreography the costuming which is you know we all know those were spectacular yeah. those were all tens so uh, yeah <laughs> we focused so way too hard on this bonus on just roasting it and there were so yeah. many other good things we did not leave ourselves time to really i mean you just did what you asked them to do with the little sister right just a sentence about the uh, about the very good thing so it's not implied it is explicit we loved yeah. all of those things we loved all of those things they were 10 out of 10 things so <laughs> i want to know what everybody else thought what do our listeners think of this show how do you feel about it let us know at playonkpodcast at gmail.com yeah, or you can hop over to our website where you can comment on episodes. It's pretty rare for people to use it for that, but we love it when we do see those. But primarily, our website is great for finding our affiliates. Uh, so if you're interested in Skillshare to build up some skills, Blueberry Podcasting to start a podcasting, or NordVPN to secure your interweb activity, and also maybe... Uh, hop on some K-dramas that aren't licensed in your re region, but are licensed in other regions. Uh, all of those, uh, there are links for each of those affiliates. Using those links helps us, and you can get any of those cool things with them. Uh, and then that's all playonk.com, I guess is what I was trying to say. There's also a button on playonk.com that you can find our Patreon or go directly to patreon.com slash playonk. And there we don't have any bonus content anymore. So if you're interested in that or if you once subscribed to get that stuff, go unsubscribe. But if you're like, that's okay. I don't need your bonus stuff. I just love the stuff you do every week for free. And I want to say good job. Give a little support. 
give a little monetary incentive to keep going, you can do that on our Patreon. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> thank you so much. And then uh, so the last thing we always like to bring up is that leaving a five-star rating and review on any of the platforms that you listen to us on really helps other K-Drama podcast listeners find us. And it, it just, uh, it's the freest way to help us out. And uh, word of mouth is... We can't say enough for it. So if you do any of those things, thank you so much. If you've done any of those things in the past, thank you so much. And if you've been thinking about doing those things, then uh, we endorse that behavior. Then we will thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta make it dark. Um. Just like the last two episodes. Sorry. I'm just trying to tie everything (laughs) back. Everything's part of the show. (laughs) Do we want to announce our next show? Because we have it picked. Yeah, let's do it. Let's announce it. Um, So I am always so shocked to hear that people are interested in following along our watch schedule with us. But on the off chance anyone is, and they're not just hopping around to listen to the ones that they have already watched. um, I think I really like doing that on these bonus episodes. Um, yeah. You you do the honors, because yeah. it's one of your all-time okay. favorites. It's one of my all-time favorites. I think I forgot to mention it in my top five favorite shows. It's Dr. Romantic Season 1. I'm <laughs> so excited. I'm excited um, to watch it. We're watching three episodes at a time, so go watch three. Three this time. Yeah, because they have a funky number of episodes, and we think it will all shake out right and you can find that one on vicky right now i don't know about its future prospects on netflix so depending on when you listen to this maybe it's on netflix as well but right now it is definitively on vicky yeah so go to vicky.com watch dr romantic season one episodes one through three we will see you here next week yeah okay bye okay bye